everybody, and welcome to the NFL Road Show. Lindsay Rhodes here with a great guest today to essentially kick off the season with us as Cam's get underway and we start getting all of the glorious information that comes from having teams back on the field again my twitter feed is fun once again with lots of football updates to go with all that political anger and i'm sure that we're all thrilled about that uh two twitter handles i would suggest you go follow right now sharp football the feed of my guest today warren sharp whose football preview book we are going to be discussing today and two 32 beat writers. That's the handle. It's a great aggregator account. And I know that that word for some reason has a negative connotation to it, but I mean it in the literal sense of the word, they follow all of the beat writers in the NFL and they consolidate their most interesting and pertinent tweets about the teams into one feed. So you can scroll their feed like during training camp, it comes in very handy and see what happened around the league that day. And also who is reporting what. And I know that I've also found beat writers to follow on Twitter through that account because I see their tweets pop up there from time to time. And man, have there been a lot of those tweets in the last few days. That's like a full-time job to scroll through and find out information about all 32. A ton of updates as teams get up and running. Very interesting to me out of the gate, some of the pup decisions, right? So most notably, there are a couple of guys at the top of the list. James Robinson is not starting on pup after tearing his Achilles in week 16 last year. So he's kind of taking the Cam Akers route and looking like he will return to the field somewhat quickly. He's doing running back drills already, um, working his way into training camp slowly for sure, but already doing individual drills. So for a lot of people in the fantasy world who have kind of already ruled him out and said, this is Travis Etienne's job, Travis Etienne's looking great, but you might not want to ride off James Robinson just yet. Also notable, Michael Thomas is not starting the season on pup, which means that he's out there on the field practicing with the saints. That's a guy who we haven't seen in a couple of years. And if he looks even remotely close to the Michael Thomas that we remember him being before he started dealing with all these injuries. Oh boy. That, that would be huge for the saints. I think their season in, in to some degree rests on that status. And then also from a fantasy standpoint, he's somebody you can get, pretty late considering the talent, right? Like they they've baked in the big question mark that goes along with him. So I think he's a really interesting person who to keep an eye on in terms of how his ADP shifts in the next couple of weeks, because it might only go up from where it is right now. Hollywood Brown is banged up in Arizona. He hurt his ankle last week running routes. So they're going to be cautious with him to start camp. It's not necessarily like big news, but obviously you would like your brand new wide receiver to be on the field, getting those reps and establishing some chemistry with your newly paid and highly monitored quarterback, Kyler Murray. I'm not going to get into the homework that they're making him do, but how weird was that uh, little aside in his contract that he has to, he has to study independently for four hours every week. The fact that they put that in writing in the contract is not necessarily a great sign that that relationship is getting off to a good start. Um, Raheem Mostert is not on the pup list. He's ready to compete with a very crowded running back room down in Miami. Chase Edmonds, Sony Michelle, Miles Gaskin, uh, Salvin Ahmed. Um, Clyde Edwards Erlair started camp on the PUP, but came off it already in Kansas City. He was spotted out at practice on Wednesday with a left leg compression sleeve. So something to keep our eye on there. Christian Watson is on the pup list in Green Bay, apparently has an undisclosed injury that they said they 
um, decided back in OTAs to deal with now. I don't know what that means, like whether that means that he had some sort of surgery rather than pushing it to the end of this season. But they talked about it as if there, there was a decision to be made and they decided to not have him just fight through the season with whatever the issue was. And they dealt with it at the time. So that's something that we'll be looking for information about uh, the rookie receiver there. Obviously, um, has a, a little bit of pressure on him, right? Because they're looking for people to step up for Devonte Adams, and it won't necessarily all fall on him, but certainly part of it will. Antonio Gibson opened training camp on a side field. I hate that news. After missing part of mini camp with a hamstring injury, so he's a little bit banged up, and that's just not what we want to hear out of the gate for him. Debo also working out on the side. Uh, but it sounds like they'll get a deal done there soon. And I'm pretty sure that that is related to a contract situation as opposed to an injury. Michael Gallup is on the pup list um, coming off his ACL injury, but Mike McCarthy talked about it as if everything was progressing fine, says he's in the fourth quarter of his rehab. So even if he misses time during training camp and maybe at the beginning of the season, maybe somebody that would be a candidate to come back fairly soon uh, for Chris Godwin, for Chris Godwin, there's no time frame for a return. And I have a lot of questions about that. I feel like we've shifted in the last few weeks to talking about him as somebody who will come back sooner rather than later. Um, I feel like even just, you know, a few weeks ago, we were talking about him maybe missing a good portion of the season in terms of his return. And now I'm not a hundred percent sure what that looks like, but I do think you, have to think it's interesting that they signed Julio Jones to a one-year $6 million deal. I'm not totally sure what I expect to see from him, and I don't want any part of him in fantasy. He didn't do anything for Tennessee last year and kind of bogged down a lot of fantasy teams. So from that standpoint, I'm not particularly interested. They've talked about, about hoping that he will make up for the lost production from losing Gronk as opposed to talking about you know him as somebody that they're signing because of Chris Godwin's injuries. So um, Julio Jones, an interesting signing there, gives you another big body, but I think he's going to be pretty far down the depth chart, relatively speaking. They also made the Kyle Rudolph signing official at tight end. Um, there are some weight updates that have been, you know, it's that time of year. I, I'm not totally interested in the weight thing personally. Gabe Davis up six pounds from last year. Zach Wilson weighs 218. Who cares? Who cares what you're anyway? Um, Traylon Burks has lost weight since minicamp. Anyway, so uh, this is also the part of the year where there are guys that pop at camp um, on air, by the way, not even like against a defense and in no pads. Um, and I tend to, and I think a lot of people do in an effort to find a hidden gem it, for fantasy, kind of end up overthinking some of the stuff that I hear right about now, like. Uh, did I make the right decision to drop Quez Watkins in Dynasty? Which, I mean, come on, we're talking about Quez Watkins. But all of a sudden, then today, he scored two touchdowns on day one of camp in Philadelphia. I'm I'm going to try not to beat myself up about dropping him. And I'm going to try and put that into perspective with, you know, where he likely fits into that offense. Denzel Mims, another name that all of a sudden, day one of camp, you are like, Hearing a lot of Denzel Mims, I implore you not to do anything with that from a fantasy standpoint, because I feel like this is totally overreaction season in terms of hearing a name that you've been waiting to pop. And all of a sudden they have a good practice and people think it's notable that they have a good practice, but just 
try to keep it in perspective in terms of the other pieces that they have on an offense and what that could possibly mean. Um, Denzel Mims is somebody that we talked about in the spring is fighting for a roster spot. So um, there are a few things that I do think are notable that are coming out of the beat writer observations, though, including Ramondre Stevenson running with the ones for part of practice on Thursday. I'm sorry, Wednesday with the Patriots, Damian Harris with the twos with Hoyer. That was not a consistent thing. It's not like Ramondre's with he's their starter and Damian has been uh, moved down to the twos. But I do think that we need to put on our radar, uh, maybe Ramondre Stevenson coming on a little bit but stronger this year and taking away some of those reps that Damian had last year. There were a lot of checkdowns to Stevenson in practice or have been so far. So I think that that's something worth monitoring. Matt Ryan, apparently looking very good in Indy. That doesn't surprise me at all, but specifically he's getting the ball out really fast and making fast decisions. I think that he's going to be very good for that offense and an upgrade from Carson Wentz. Also in Indy, this is going to take some getting used to. Darius Leonard has changed his name. He hasn't actually changed his name. It's the exact same name he's always had, but he wants us to call him something different. And that is Shaquille. Shaquille is his middle name. And apparently he's always gone by Shaquille. His family has always called him Shaquille. And he just felt uncomfortable correcting the media when he first got into the league, I guess. And they started calling him Darius because that's his first name. And now he doesn't feel uncomfortable correcting the media (laughs) and wants us to call him Shaquille. So Shaq Leonard is now one of the linebackers in Indianapolis. And um, don't worry if, you know, Darius leaks out a few times here and there because that's bound to happen. Jags, Jags, I think are a very interesting team this year. Can only go up from where they were last year, but they're lining people up in practices in tons of creative ways. LaVisca Chenault's coming out of the backfield a bit, right? On Wednesday, uh, they lined up ETN out wide. ETN, by the way, apparently looking very explosive. Uh, defenders having a hard time there getting a hat on him. They've got Zay Jones playing X receiver. And of course, um, Kirk, not Kirk Cousins, Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk is also being used in a variety of creative ways there. So that's something that I think will be very interesting to monitor is how they're using the different weapons there in Jacksonville, because they have guys who can be very, very versatile and they just didn't use them that way last year. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, you know, relatively disappointing based on what our expectations were going into last season. They didn't use him in any of the ways that we thought that they were going to use him. And so it looks like maybe Doug Peterson and company will do that. Isaiah McKenzie and Jamison Crowder are fighting for us the slot role in Buffalo. And I think that that's interesting because Jamison has been a pretty good slot receiver for the majority of his career. And he's somebody who, you know, if you fire him up in fantasy, he's pretty consistent. You know, his ceiling's not particularly high, but he's somebody that's consistent. And I thought Jamison was that guy. And it sounds like Isaiah McKenzie is going to be in a battle for that role, maybe a little bit more than some of us expected. And also Jamison is not practicing so far in training camp. And you got to think that that hurts his chances of winning the role. If Isaiah continues to show out. And then there's the rookie there in Buffalo to take into consideration. Also Khalil Shakir, who has gotten more reps with Crowder being out. And he's apparently making the most of them as they try to figure out what kind of role that he would be right for. Down in Carolina, Baker getting to know his teammates needs to work on timing. Sounds like they're rotating at quarterback. Sounds like, you know, he doesn't have chemistry with people down there. That's not surprising. That's going to take a little while. Baker is supposedly going to take all the reps with the ones on Thursday, Darnold with the twos. And my guess is that they'll rotate. 
But so we don't have an answer about quarterback there yet. No one thought that we were going to. Uh, I think that's going to go pretty deep into camp. So those are some of the stories that I found most interesting so far. Just a couple of days into camp. Isn't this fun? Uh, There are certainly some teams that I find more interesting than others also, largely ones that have a lack of clarity to a degree or teams that I see differently than the market. And I think that my guest today is a great one to help focus that conversation. He recently published a season preview book that is 560 pages long. It has so much good information in it. And I know some of you are like 560, that's insane, but I recommend it. Even if you're only interested in reading a few of the chapters, maybe about your team and then some teams in your division, maybe, you know, looking for information about people that you're thinking about drafting for fantasy. Either way, it's worth it because the data that you're going to find in this book is so much more detailed and specific than you will find by turning on the TV and watching season preview stuff there. Sharp and his team have really dialed things down to what each team slash player did well last year and what they need to do better. And as you're going to hear in our conversation today, we're talking about the kinds of things that I think teams are talking about behind the scenes, like coaches, not like, hey, this guy needs to be better, but in what way this guy needs to get better? Which situations specifically? Are there clues about what the coaches might do to address the issues that we've seen in years past? Stuff that you wouldn't necessarily come up with on your own, with your own eyes, even if you are a hardcore football fan. So again, I can't recommend the book enough. And as you're going to hear in our conversation, Warren has really made me think about a few things very differently, which I freaking love. So without further ado, let's break the huddle with Warren Sharp. Hurry up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? So Warren, I have been going through this 560-page document uh, that you have compiled. It's really good. There's so much good stuff that you guys have managed to find in terms of like numbers and, and trends within each team in particular that I was not aware of. Uh, I highly recommend everybody listening that they go get a copy of it. Um, I've been kind of reading it in, uh, like jumping in and out of chapters as things come up. And I want to learn more about say the dolphins. Then I am dropping in, you know, skipping ahead to the dolphin section. So I'm not reading it straight through. I'm going to have to go back and fill in a lot of gaps, but I have found so many useful tidbits of information. And I got to tell you um, the thing I've been thinking about this morning has it's a random place to start. I was reading the Broncos section and it got me thinking about the Seahawks because you posted a quote from Pete Carroll talking about his <clears throat> his uh, press conference after they traded Russell Wilson, in which he talks about a story. Uh, he tells a story about a conversation that he had with John Wooden uh, about, you know, when do you or how often do you change your coaching philosophy? And John Wooden was like, you never change your philosophy. And then Pete Carroll can continued to recant like what his philosophies are, which is like defense, run the ball, special teams. And it made me think like maybe John Wooden's philosophies, and this is what uh, Pete Carroll has built his whole career around. Like I have a philosophy, I'm sticking to it. This is how I've had my success. John Wooden's philosophies were all like, you know, don't compete with the other team, compete with yourself, Uh, like teamwork. They were all like these existential kind of like life type themes, not like coaching specific strategies, 
that probably should be malleable. He wasn't like always have a big man who's seven feet or taller. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't stuff like that. And so it really got me thinking about like whether or not Pete Carroll's just hung up on the wrong things because he has assigned his philosophy to them. And maybe it's just the wrong word. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think you're right in more ways than one. A great observation on your part. Completely concur. And I don't know that we need to question as to whether or not Pete is right or not. I mean, he's obviously forgotten way more about football than I will ever know, but he is wrong to think that these philosophies are what is going to make you successful in 2022. And I can only imagine if John Wooden was coaching basketball over the last decade, right? Let's pretend that this was his prime time. And he was hung up on having the big interior uh, force, like you were suggesting, at, in a league where the three-point shooting is now so much more advantageous, and that's what all the teams are doing now. But but the difference even in the NFL compared to basketball is that the NFL has changed all the rules. Since 2010, all the rules that really matter have, have been changed. All the quarterbacks have much more protection. You can't grab the wide receivers uh, at the line of scrimmage anymore. And there is massive protection laid out for these guys down the field. So you can't hit them. You can't smash them over the middle and send them to the emergency room or give them a concussion. Um, you're going to get penalized. You're going to get kicked out of the game for hits like that. Uh, and they've removed all of those types of plays from the sport of football. And that is the reason why passing is so much more efficient. Like you could approach this problem from two different ways. Number one, you can forget all the numbers and you could just say all the rules are different now. It seems like it's easier to throw the ball. We should be throwing the ball more often. Let's do that. Or you could forget that you even knew that rules changed. You could completely ignore that and just look at the numbers and just look at the data and see wow, completion percentage keeps rising. Wow, yards per attempt keeps rising. Maybe we should be passing the ball more because passing seems more efficient than running the football with our running backs. So it, whichever way you approach this problem, you would see that passing is more efficient. And yet for Pete, he's hung up on the way that he did it back in the 80s when he became a coach and what his forefathers were doing. And he picked up on that and just continues to want to play good defense and be good on special teams and run the ball well and all the things that really we know. Um, sure, you don't want to be bad on defense. Sure, you don't want to be terrible on special teams. But guess what? Most coaches are trying to not put their kickers out there more often. They're going to go for it as opposed to kick field goals. They're going to go for it as opposed to punting the football. So special teams is no longer the massive priority that it once was. Running backs aren't the massive priority that they once were. Um, and it seems like time has certainly marched past Pete Carroll in that regard. In terms of a data experiment, are you at all interested in like, I find it compelling that he is like, nope, this is what I believe wins football games. And I will blow this whole team up. And anybody who tells me that they want to pass more and all this stuff, like I, this is what I believe. And I will go down with this ship. And I'm a little bit interested in seeing like, it appears like he's building this team in that model right? Like he's going to give it a go again. And I'm, I'm curious if it was a controlled scenario where like he said, no one get in my way. I will quit at the end of next year. If this does not work, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to continue to try it in 2022. I'm curious to see what that would end up looking like. 
not optimistic, but I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, well, he's got he's got an offense right now that does not have a good quarterback with whichever option they go with, whether it's Drew Locke or Geno Smith. Um, so they will be needing to run the football a little bit more because these quarterbacks aren't going to be successful. The funny part about quarterback play in the NFL currently, though, is the optimal time to have a bad quarterback pass the football is on first down. Because when you run the football on first down and you don't do a whole lot because the defense is expecting you to run because you don't have a good quarterback and then you're stuck in second, medium or long, and then inevitably on third down, third and anything more than two, three yards, that defense knows you're passing the quarter, the ball. This bad quarterback is going to be dropping back. We can pin our ears back and play the pass. Um, and we know he's probably not going to get past his first, maybe second read on these pass plays. And we're going to send extra pressure on him. Um, the, that's where you make a, quarterback look worse than what he actually is but if that quarterback is passing the football on first down he is going to be passing the ball into looks that defenses are planning to stop his run running backs and those are the optimal times too so it's even ironically enough it's even more imperative that this team turned more it sounds counterintuitive but turned more to letting the quarterbacks throw the ball on first down but I can assure you that's not going to be in Pete Carroll's vocabulary this upcoming season I think it's funny you bring that up because that point that you just made was my main takeaway about the Eagles chapter of the book, how Sirianni did specifically that last year with Hertz, had him out of the gate, throwing in non-obvious passing situations to set him up for success and how he was actually great on those plays, efficient, accurate, upright, didn't see a lot of pressure. And then when the teams figured out that that's what they were doing. They defended them accordingly, a lot of light boxes. So Sirianni pivoted away into the more run heavy approach that we saw later in this season. I think that's a really good sign that you've got a good coach on your hand, somebody that's willing to make a change like that and is paying attention to how to set his players up for success. Um, I'm interested to see how Mike McDaniel coaches in that regard this season, since it's his first year as a head coach. And he has a quarterback whose confidence he's going to need to build up in the early going and also develop as the season goes on. I'm actually higher on Tua than a lot of people are this year. I think a lot of people, I don't know that I consider myself part of that Tua non-collective, but but I am definitely a believer that we have not come close to seeing what his upside is. And I don't think that his floor is much lower than what he's shown right now. But I think he does have more upside. I'm not thinking that he's a top five, top nine, quarterback in the NFL, but a lot of people have just written him off after these first two years. And he's been really unfairly dealt with, in my opinion, in Miami over the last couple of years. And I don't know yet what Mike McDaniel will offer as an offensive coach because he's never called plays in the NFL before. But I do know that Kyle Shanahan believes in him a ton. And I do know that Tua has been put in these ridiculously terrible situations over the last couple of years that I don't think enough people are factoring into their perception of him. Well, I I found that section to be the most interesting, to be honest with you, the Dolphins stuff. Um, and that's a team that I find just fascinating heading into the season, because I feel like they're one of those teams that we're not including in the conversation for good teams in the NFL. But I think that they have the types of weapons and with the new coach that I, I feel like there's there's the potential there for them to kind of tip the scale from average into above average and maybe even potentially good, like teetering on that level, like not, not in the same conversation as the elite teams, but like just below that, or they could totally be like, "Mm, whatever. And a lot of it does 
revolve around whether or not Tua can succeed with the weapons that they've now put around him. But in the section that you guys wrote about the Dolphins, the stuff that I found most fascinating was about the wide receiver separation problem that they have had for the last couple of years. And Devontae Parker being like the worst in the league at getting separation. And the fact that that is specifically what they needed. And I think that people make so much about going and getting Tyreek Hill and him being like a stretch the field guy, as if he's going to be just running like go routes on every single play and whether or not to his arm can, can succeed with that or is a match with that. But when you put it in the prism of just, needing wide receivers that can get separation and therefore not having a defender on top of them when they catch the ball so that they can, you know, pick up yards after the catch. When you go get a guy like Tyreek, who is good in that department, it helps everything. It doesn't need to just be the explosive plays. It'll help the whole offense because now he has some separation from the defender and Tua is not forcing all of his throws into tight windows just because those are the only windows that exist on the field. I thought that all of the stats and the way that you guys explained the addition of Tyreek in that context really kind of opened my eyes and made me look at the offense in a different way. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things I try to do when I'm, I, I, I bought a ton more data, just pulling back the curtain a little bit. Um, so I was able to do more this off season than even in prior years. And I thought that we did a pretty good job in prior years too, but this year I was just really satisfied with, uh, kind of the whole process of writing each chapter and digging into the teams. And what we're looking to do is tell the story of how this team performed, didn't meet expectations last season. And then what do we think they're going to do this upcoming season via new coaching staff potentially and, and new players that the team has added and then new philosophies or further growth and development from some of their current players. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're uncovering things that not as many other people out there are discussing. And so specifically with the Dolphins, I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize that Chan Gailey was Tua's first offensive coach in the NFL. And this guy, you know, no, no shame in being a grandparent. Hopefully all of us maybe are one day, but like this guy was a retired coach who was a grandparent, just loving his grandbabies for a couple of years before he was convinced to come back to the NFL to coach specifically Ryan Fitzpatrick because he was Ryan Fitzpatrick's former coordinator. This was during the COVID offseason. Tua was rehabbing a catastrophic pick and catastrophic hip injury and wasn't taking any reps with the first team, wasn't doing as much stuff as the rest of the guys. All of a sudden, midway through the season, and, and he wasn't starting, of course. It was Ryan Fitzpatrick. Then they insert Tua, and Chan doesn't change his offense. And Chan comes out later, a year later, and says, I was shocked we were in starting Tua because this offense was Ryan's, and we never changed anything for Tua. And Tua didn't have an offseason with us because of COVID and his injury. And then you go into last season, and literally 10 days before that season started, this team did not know which of their co-offense coordinators was calling the plays. And I'm, I can only imagine the difficulty for a quarterback in his first year starting dealing with that nightmare. And then, of course, you have the separation issue with you, which you mentioned, and he had nowhere to go with the football. Every time he's reading the field on his first read, second read, guys are covered. So it wasn't just a Tua problem. Every single one of those quarterbacks led the league in aggressiveness, which is next-gen stats. You can go to their website. You can look at aggressiveness for quarterbacks. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, right up there in the top five out of like 40 different quarterbacks. Tua, top five. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, 
top six or seven, I think. All these guys, they had to throw to covered guys because none of these receivers were able to get open. And that is one of the things that Mike McDaniel and the San Francisco 49ers offense did well for years. As you mentioned, it's getting the ball to receivers that are open. Why? It creates opportunity. It creates, first of all, an easier completion. It's also easier on the quarterback to make his reads. Oh, this guy's open. Okay. I can throw him the football and it gives more upside for yards after the catch when you're throwing to a guy who has separation. So all those things are going to make life easier on Tua. The receivers do more work after the catch and help increase his yards per attempt, even though they might be slightly shorter passes. And that's going to help progress this offense. The one concern that I do have with the Miami Dolphins though, is just that we don't know what Mike McDaniel is going to do offensively. What's his philosophy? I know that this run game is going to be better. The run game last year was atrocious. That also didn't help Tua whatsoever. This run game is going to be better. The O-line is going to be better. They have better running backs. But are they going to run the ball too much on first down? Remember, Mike McDaniel was the run game coordinator for the 49ers for, for a little while. So are they going to be too focused on running the ball and not trust Tua enough to throw the ball? Or are they going to throw the ball in some of these first downs and open things up uh, for the run game at that point? Um, you know, we saw a guy... Uh, like LaFleur, who was the 49ers pass game coordinator. He went to the New York Jets last season as their offense coordinator. And I wrote in the Jets chapter, I don't know what he was doing. Like None of the concepts that the 49ers were doing and using successfully with a quarterback like Jimmy G, he, was, he wasn't using any of that stuff with Zach Wilson. Things that could have made Zach Wilson's life a lot easier in New York the Jets offense coordinator wasn't doing, and he was the pass game coordinator from the 49ers. So um, I don't know how quick of a, a, of in terms of hitting the ground running, Mike McDaniel will be with the Miami Dolphins, but I personally like this team. I think they go over their eight and a half game win total. I think that this team is being undervalued a little bit in the marketplace. And uh, I think they're going to have a a, a pretty good season and tool will surprise some people. Who else fits into that category for you of teams that you value more than the market does? Minnesota Vikings oh. are an easy one for me. Um, look, this is a team. Mike Zimmer was obviously their defensive coach. He was also their head coach. And so, you know, just like some other head coaches around the league, I think we're going to run into some of this a little bit if you want to talk about the Bills. But like some of these defensive minded head coaches that value the old school running game, like Pete Carroll does, like that has a direct impact over modern day football. If they're going to interfere with the offensive side of the ball as it relates to play calling, which all head coaches should have involvement in. But if you're restricting a team from passing the football and demanding more runs uh, that can be problematic for your efficiency. And that's exactly what I think Mike Zimmer has been doing over the last several years. And now you've got Kevin O'Connell in there. Who's the head coach and offense coordinator, uh, sorry, head coach who will be calling plays. Um, and I think that this team, they've already come out and said, we're going to be throwing the ball yeah. more. And you have Justin Jefferson saying, it's so refreshing to finally be in a modern day offense. Like, and it's going to be so fun this season. And we're going to see Kirk Cousins, who I think the market is much lower on than what his actual statistics are, because there's this perception that the Vikings offense stinks. Um, when in reality, if they were throwing the ball a little bit more on some of these early downs when the defense might be playing the run, this offense would have even more juice. And they already had a lot of juice last season, but their defense has been terrible. So, you know, and that's Mike Zimmer's specialty. So if the defense improves a touch and this offense gets much more efficient, that's going to actually help the defense. And this is what I think guys like Mike Zimmer don't 
don't realize I'm not trying to suggest I'm smarter, but like the way that you help your defense is when the offense is more predictable. Uh, in, in the modern day rules construct, the rules are all designed to help offenses, as we already discussed, and they've been changing these, these ever since like 2010. In the name of player safety, which obviously was important, but it also had residual effects of helping scoring and that helps fantasy football interest and that helps interest in your game in general. So more people are tuning in. They don't want to watch three to six final score games left and right. They want to see 33 to 36 final score games. So at any rate, all these rules have, have changed. The only way that offenses kind of can kind of push chips back and, and give the defense an upper hand is by being predictable. Well, how do you as an offense, make the other offense predictable, your opponent's offense predictable. The only way that you can do that and have a say in how predictable your opponent's offense is, is by getting a lead. If you get a lead, if you come out in the first half, play aggressive, throw the ball on early downs, bypass third downs, get into scoring range, put up points. Now in the second half, your opponent's offense has to be more predictable. They're losing on the scoreboard. They have to start chasing your offense, and that's going to help your defense. The way to help your defense is not to try to run the ball offensively and slow the game down and keep your defense resting on the bench, and now somehow because they're more rested, they're going to play better. That's that's actually not the way that you're going to help your defense. You're going to help your defense by making that offense have to throw the ball all the time. And now you know what to do as a defense, you know, what's especially with the knowledge and then going back to the Pete Carroll and the run the ball and all this stuff that you guys um, mentioned toward the top of the book in terms of primary takeaways. uh, One of them was about explosive plays and the stat that one explosive play on a drive does what? Oh, it increases the tendency. I don't know the exact number you're, you're quoting, but I know that one explosive play of 15 plus yards changes a drive from having a 5% chance of scoring up to a 50, I think it's 50 or 55% chance of scoring. It's enormous. And I don't think people consider it nearly enough. And this is where me talking to some coaches, you have to balance the desire to be efficient and simply avoid third downs with the need to sprinkle in some obvious explosive play targets and and, and and dial up plays that are generating explosive gains because I mean it's absolutely ridiculous I don't think people realize how impactful those big chunk plays are at scoring points which is ultimately the goal of any offense is is not to take up a certain amount of time on your drives or or not to avoid x number of third downs or like all those things might be good but it's bottom line score points. When we can we, we can massively increase our ability to score points by getting one of these explosive plays, you need to figure out ways to incorporate that into every single drive. Okay, so keeping that in mind, um, which are the offenses that you feel the most confident can do that on a regular basis? Like for me, and this is kind of taking the question in a different uh, different direction, there's a lot of talk, and I know that you know we can get into the mathematics behind the Bengals regression conversation. Where I struggle with that is that I see an offense where I like all of the offensive weapons across the board. You know, love the quarterback. Um, There's work to be done at the quarterback position. I see that as room for growth as opposed to room for regression. Like he's going to regress to a mean after year two. Like the fact that there were some holes statistically in his game, I look at that as a good thing. 
based on what they were able to accomplish with that being the case. That wide receiver core is, I, I mean, find me a better one. You know, those three, I think you would probably take, or at least would be in the conversation for the group that you'd want to take. Um, the running back, Joe Mixon, had had a great year, and they upgraded the offensive line. So there's a conversation about regression that centers around, I think, their, their harder schedule. Clearly, it is going to be tougher. But I see this as a team that can outscore anyone. I think it's built that way. And part of it is linked to that explosive plays. Like, you know, anything can be happening on a drive, and I trust the fact that Joe Burrow can hit either T. Higgins or Jamar Chase, or if the need be, even Tyler Boyd, you know, and and the big play can happen. Yeah, I think for me, I don't disagree with you whatsoever in, in the Bengals. A lot of their explosive plays actually came on shorter passes that they then turned into gains. And this is something that Andy Reid does really well. And Kyle Shanahan does really well. Um, two totally different reasons why. Andy Reid has a great quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. Kyle Shanahan has a quarterback that you kind of need to help hold his hand a little bit in Jimmy G. But both coaches understand the value in making life easy on the quarterback, no matter what his talent level is. He could be a first-year rookie, or he could be an all-pro uh, pro bowler year in, year out like Patrick Mahomes. If you can make your that quarterback's life a little bit easier, you should go ahead and try to do that. And uh, so that's where a lot of the explosive plays come from the Chiefs as well um, as the Bengals have been able to generate. But the team for me that I think could get there this season, although they still are lacking, like if you're comparing wide receiver core, I would not put this team up there. But if they make a few philosophical changes, maybe even just one, uh, I think they can be to that level. And that's the LA Chargers with Justin Herbert. And I was, you know, I said before, um, I might have written in the book. If I didn't, I'll tell you now that I think the only way that the Chargers don't make to, to make it to the AFC championship this year is because of injuries or because of coaching. I mean, injuries, this team seems to be just snake bitten every single season. If they can somehow figure out a way to get through that den of vipers and not have to get injured, it's down to coaching. And really, it's not necessarily Brandon Staley. Um it's Joe Lombardi, their offense coordinator. They were throwing the ball way too short with Justin Herbert. I mean, he was like bottom five in target depth on early downs last season in the first three quarters of games. And we're talking about a guy who has one of the strongest arms in the entire NFL, who's got so much arm talent, whether it comes to accuracy or arm strength, the ability that he has to push the ball down the field compared to what most quarterbacks have. He's just on the upper echelon of that. And why are we limiting him? Why are we treating him like we were treating Drew Brees, who Joe Lombardi was coaching the prior year with the Saints? And it just was frustrating to me to look back at these numbers. And, and obviously I saw what was happening. We saw, we were commenting on this all season long after the second week of the season, after the fifth week of the season, why are they throwing it short? Why aren't they throwing it deeper? But then you kind of, they missed the playoffs obviously. And then you kind of forget about the chargers for a few months. And then you dig into all the numbers. And I'm like, Oh, this again. Yeah. Joe Lombardi, what are you doing? You want to like shake him and say, you're not coaching Drew Brees anymore. And I think that if they are able to throw the football a little bit deeper on some of these early downs, they will be able to generate more explosive plays, which will make their offense easier. Too much of that offense was 
Justin Herbert, you can be a hero on third down. Go put your Superman cape on. And if that doesn't work, we'll go for it on fourth down. And my thought process is, look, you don't need to make Justin Herbert be a Superman. He'll be a Superman naturally enough. Let's try to keep this team out of third downs entirely in 2022. And let's try to figure out ways to get the ball down the field on first down or second down to bypass the sticks and to move the ball down the field and create some explosive plays. So this is a team with tremendous talent. The reason I think that they are uh, the likely team to make it to the AFC championship, if not for injuries and and coaching, is because the GM has done such a perfect job with a quarterback on a rookie deal. This is exactly what you want your GM to be. You want him to understand what the needs are for your roster. And in some cases, think short term, plug those holes really quickly. We need to get this boat to the finish line, we're starting the race with a with a lead. We got a great quarterback on a rookie deal. All we got is a couple holes. Let's figure out how to stop the run better. Boom, let's add a couple guys at free agency. Let's bring in the guy. I think he had the most uh interceptions in in the in his first four years of any DB in I think the last 20 seasons. Let's bring him in. We need some help in the secondary and Let's plug some of these holes. I think they brought in uh, Bryce Callahan, if I'm not mistaken, as the as the slot corner. Let's plug some of these holes and let's figure out how to get this ship across the finish line in first place. We already got a head start. And uh, that's why I think they're going to be great. But their coaching could cause the job to be more difficult uh, than it otherwise needs to be. 100% agree with everything you just said there about the way that they've built this roster. I feel like this was a team that like before free agency, I was like, bet this team, bet this team for the Super Bowl odds because they're going to go get the pieces this offseason. They have the space and this is the build, right? Year three, rookie quarterback. You know, you've got the one. Go for it now because you can afford to. Um, you mentioned something there though, that I want to go back to when you were talking about the chargers and you were prefacing the conversation and you said it was not because of the wide receiver core. What do you not like about that wide receiver core? Because I think most people, you know, I'm seeing Keenan Allen and Mike Williams go pretty early in fantasy drafts. So I think that that might catch some people off guard. They just don't have, this is more of just like a, a build. They don't have like that deep burner speed that I think is useful enough in football to stretch the field and to make life easier. Yes, they're going to hit Jalen Guyton, but a lot of these guys that they've got are uh, Mike Williams, a great jump ball receiver, but he's not like a down down the field burner. Keenan Allen is a great uh, receiver overall. He's one of my favorite receivers. He's a route running technician. He knows how to get open. He knows how to sell his fakes and make life easier on his quarterback, but he's not a guy that's going down the field and stretching it for you. And so, um, if, if there's one hole for this team, you know, I know that their right tackle is like not the greatest, but they're really good at the other four spots. I love their quarterback. They've got several good wide receivers. It's just that depth at the receiver position and or lack of a burner that um, if there's an injury or if you could have used that burner receiver a little bit more that they are not going to have entering this season. And that's never the best spot to be. And when you entered the season, I already know, okay, this is kind of a, a weakness of theirs. And I mean, let me look at what we ranked them. I'm opening my book here on the, uh, the PDF and trying to see, I mean, it's not like we still rank them with the 10th best receiver class, but they okay. just are lacking that upside uh, burner down the field that, that they could have used. Um, and, and hopefully they don't need this year. Cause I do think, you know, there's some value in taking this team to win the Super Bowl. What about the other guys that they have, like Guyton Palmer? 
Are there, is there one of them that has that? Guyton is that guy. Guyton is the guy who's going to get down the field for them and, 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 and make those catches. Um, but I just don't think that he, he's got that upside uh, to his game that would make me feel confident. Okay. We're set here. Like we're totally set here. He's the guy who's going to need to be that guy for them, but I would have liked to see an improvement upon him, uh, in free agency if possible. Since we're in the AFC West now, um, and that division is obviously, I think the one that a lot of us are the most intrigued by, uh, with, you know, a first to fourth situation that could be just like anybody. (laughs) Um, I want to ask you about the chiefs because I found what you wrote about them to be particularly interesting since we were all trying to solve the puzzle that was their offense last year in that they regressed, but as you pointed out, they still ranked first in every important drive statistic. However, they had the fewest drives in the entire NFL. So what did you find with that offense? And what do you think that their moves in the offseason, how do you read into them in terms of them being their answer to what you found? Yeah, the Chiefs are a tough read for me. The market is obviously down on the Chiefs. People are betting against the Chiefs. and. I like to be a contrarian. So I obviously approach my research on into every team from a completely clean slate, objective opinion. Like that, that's where it was like, oh, wow, here's this stuff about Joe Lombardi. Like I'm not walking into this saying like, I'm going to write X, Y, and Z about this team. Like I want to approach this from an unbiased perspective as possible. And you're looking at the chief statistics from last year and it's like, this offense is still damn good. And yes, teams trick them a little bit, uh, with the too high shell and force them to figure it out on the fly during the season. Okay, we're going to have to throw it shorter. We're going to have to get the ball out quicker. We do we need to run the ball a little bit more because of the way defenses are playing us? Like they had to figure that all out on the fly. And it's amazing. I mean, this was a team that was up big over the Cincinnati Bengals, if not for the second half of that game, but they lose. And now everybody wants to say, Mahomes is done. Mahomes is in the top five quarterback in the NFL. Mahomes, I mean, the quotes, you probably read them just, was it yesterday in uh, in the article at The Athletic that was ranking all the guys, talking about Mahomes is a one-read quarterback, and if he doesn't have his first read, he's going to start playing street ball. It's like, what, what are we doing here? This quarterback is still one of the best quarterbacks in the entire, entirety of the NFL, and he's still super young. He's got his whole future ahead of him. He's already won a Super Bowl. He's been to the AFC Championship like three years in a row, like four years, maybe. I forget exactly. Like he's been so many in the he's last. He's real good. Years. So here's the thing that I think though this team is going to run into this upcoming season is I want to see how defenses choose to play them without Tyreek Hill because it's going to be a big chess match. Um, offenses should always be trying to impose your will first, but understanding what the weaknesses are in the defense and maybe two months into the season, a month and a half, we'll start to figure out, okay, here's a trend. This is the way defenses are playing this team without Tyree kill. And then they'll have a better idea. But like, I don't know week one, if we're going to see the same rate of too high that we saw against the chiefs last season with Tyree kill there, where they're trying to prevent the over the top deep stuff down the field. Now, Marcus Valdez Scantling can be that burner. And he had a high percentage of his targets in green Bay down the field. He didn't catch enough of them. He dropped too many, but he still has that element that you have to defend. 
Uh, but you're probably not giving him the same level of respect totally. as you would Tyree Kill. So you're not basing your whole defense around what MVS may or may not be able to do. What I am interested to see is how much this team is going to choose to run the football this year because, you know, it's not in Andy Reid's DNA. And I completely argue for passing the football. However, there are times when, like I said, you have to play to take advantage of what the defense is doing against you. And if the defense is going to sit back there and play this team with so many light boxes, which is what they saw at the number one highest rate of any team in the NFL, and your backs can pick up five yards a run, you have to sprinkle that in a little bit more frequently. You have to, you like, it, yes, it's not a Patrick Mahomes pass attempt, but you have to do this a little bit more frequently because um, there these these are plus EV upside plays when defenses are playing soft like that. And it's not necessarily like I don't like the philosophy. Well, let's just keep running it until we run them out of this defense. You like, no, we we still want to be a pass first offense here. We're not trying to run it so much that somebody starts jamming the box with defenders, but you have to run the ball a little bit more when you're getting so many looks where the defense is clearly playing the pass and letting you get five plus yards. Like we know we're going to get five or so yards on this run play, but we might be able to block it up in a certain way to spring this for a gain bigger than what we would have on a pass play. So let's try to work some of that more into our offense this season. Yeah. I found the the numbers just because I have them in front of me for this one um, in terms of the efficient, but not explosive, uh, clearly tied to the too high, it looks like. Uh, Mahomes ranked 32nd in early down target depth at 6.6, which was down from 7.7 7 in 2020 and 8.6 in 2021. So you have to think that has to do with the way that the defenses are playing them. Do you think they're getting rid of Tyreek was specifically tied to that because they wanted defenses to play them different so that then they could become a little bit more explosive and not have to play it. So, you know, close to the line to a degree. No, I, I think that the reason that they ended up getting rid of Tyreek was uh, a contractual reason. Like, I don't think that they would want to lose Tyreek. I think once the wide receiver markets top was taken off, like, and you're already paying that much money to Patrick Mahomes. You can't, you, you, they couldn't find enough ways to, to, to give Tyreek as much money as he wanted while paying Patrick Mahomes and still build out the rest of those 51 players on your active roster to a certain level of strength. So I felt like they unfortunately had to make a tough decision um, and they probably did not want to make that decision. No team wants to lose a player, the caliber of a Tyreek Hill. Um, I, I think that they were kind of forced into that. Uh, that's why it's so important with the uh, the rookie deals to take advantage of that because once the quarterback gets paid and, and the way that some of these modern deals are working out, GMs aren't stupid. So you got the Chiefs GM and the Bills GM. They did the same thing. They paid Josh Allen. They paid Patrick Mahomes. But that first year of that new deal was still super cheap. It was like the quarterback was still on his rookie deal from a cap perspective. And so they could still build out a good roster into that next year. This was the first year that Patrick, like last year was the last year that Patrick Mahomes, even though he had his new contract was cheap on the cap this year, his cap hit is rocketed up. Obviously they weren't paying a cap hit like that for the last four years. Now all of a sudden they have to pay a ton more to the quarterback, which is why Josh Allen and for the Buffalo bills this year is so important because the, he got paid, 
but he's still cheap on the salary cap this year. And after this year, his cap hit's going to go up a lot. And that means the Bills might be losing a key wide receiver in 2023. So um, it's just kind of wide receivers aren't as important as a quarterback. You got to pay your quarterback and sometimes you're stuck a little bit. You kind of alluded to this earlier with regard to the Bills. Do you think that Sean McDermott is going to push them to run the ball a little bit more this season? I do. I definitely do. Um, the, the way that I view the Bills, is it's interesting, and some of this could be wrong. This is my opinion. Uh, but we saw a couple instances last season where in post-game press conferences where the performance didn't go so well in bad weather games, such as against the Indianapolis Colts and against the New England Patriots in that win game, Sean McDermott comes out and basically like put his offensive coordinator, a veteran offensive coordinator who led him to the AFC championship and had him in a great record for this upcoming season too, um, on the hot seat. Not, not necessarily like you're going to get canned, but like I'm not happy with the way that we are calling plays. I'm not happy with and So if that's bubbling out into the press conferences, imagine what's going on behind the scenes, right? Like yeah. there had to be instances where Sean McDermott was pissed at Brian Dayball and they were arguing back and forth about the run rate and the physicality. The problem is like Brian Dable in this case was right. I mean, this offensive line could not run block when they tried to run the ball on first down. It was terrible. So like they made some changes this off season besides just Brian Dayball. Obviously he left for greener pastures with a head coaching job, but they brought in some help on the offensive line. They brought in a new offensive line coach and they went out and drafted a running back. So they are obviously going to be hoping that their run game is going to improve this season. Um, but I feel like Brian Dayball was a strong enough force to go toe to toe with Sean McDermott and say like, look, I got Josh on, we got to throw the ball. And Brian Dayball could like deal with that. I'm worried that a guy who's never called plays nor has ever been an offense coordinator before is going to have anywhere near the same amount of leverage to have that same ability to stand up to Sean McDermott. And if McDermott wants to run the ball more on first downs, or if McDermott wants to, um, you know, uh, not run Josh Allen as much, which he said in publicly this off season, like I w I don't want to run Josh Allen as much. And I want our run game with our backs to be more physical and, and us to be able to you lean on it a little bit more. We have to do a better job of that. Like, I think it's inevitable that both of those things are bad for a football team that has Josh Allen as quarterback. You want him to be able to run the football as long as he doesn't get injured. Like I know they put an investment into him, but the fact of the matter is quarterbacks take fewer hits. It doesn't, it, it's, it sounds illogical, but quarterbacks take fewer hits when they're outside the pocket than when they're in the pocket, you know, passing the football, because you could see what you're running into when you're scampering in the clear in, in the middle of the football field in the pocket. I mean, your back is turned to the blind side. You got guys coming at your knees from close proximity. It's you're going to get hit more and injuries are worse generally speaking to quarterbacks when they're hit in the pocket than they are when they're running down the field, be that as it may, um, Josh Allen is a skeleton key when he runs the ball. Not many quarterbacks can do that. It's one of the most efficient plays in football and you want him throwing the ball because you're going to gain more yards when he completes a pass than when he hands the ball off to a running back. So I, that's one of my biggest concerns about the bills this year. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily that they got rid of Brian Dayball because I have faith in Josh Allen. I have faith in their uh, offensive coordinator. 
it's the run rate and the philosophy that they might lean more into under Sean McDermott this upcoming season. And, and, and I could be totally wrong. They could lean that way and it could work for them. It could, it could make their offense even better. They could have a lot of success. They could average five and a half yards per run on first down. They could be a great run blocking team all of a sudden with a new offensive line coach. Like, all these things could happen and I could be wrong, but it is a concern. And when you're looking at the favorite to win the Super Bowl, okay, which is the Buffalo Bills, yeah. you're not going to have a ton of negatives about this team. You're not going to like pick through a million blemishes say, oh yeah, here's all the things. Like, you're going to have to dig a little bit. You're going to have to scrounge a little bit. You're going to have to uncover some things. And this is something that I just worry about a little bit with this team that may not be the worst thing in the world, but is something that is a little bit concerning that not very many people are discussing. Fantasy follow-up. Um, do you think that that would mean Singletary or uh, the new, the rookie James Cook? I think Cook. I, I think the Bills made that draft pick just like the Chargers when the Chargers were going out and plugging in this defensive tackle and this cornerback. They made that move to draft him as early as they did. What was it? 53 overall is in the second round. They knew that they needed a player with his upside, both in the receiving game and on uh, in the run game. The only way this guy, in my opinion, total guess, let's see how training camp snaps play out. But my position right now before camp is starting is that as soon as this guy's ready to handle pass pro and this team doesn't have to be like, 70% run when he's in the game because they can't call passes but and the and the defense knows it because he's not good at pass pro. As soon as he proves himself in pass pro, he's your number one back. I mean, rookies all the time take on the number one role out the gates. Najee Harris last year, we see Saquon Barkley several years ago. Like we see guys, they're drafted at the in the first round. Boom, this is our starter. He's going to take the workload for us. So I think he's much better than Singletary. I, I think Cook has higher upside than any of the backs they have there currently. Um, and as long as he's getting in the game, which is going to be prove yourself in pass pro, in my opinion, he, he's your guy. Whether it happens in week one or week five or, you know, I don't know that right now. Let's see how the how the training camp plays out a bit. Okay, here's a team that I really want to get your opinion on because I feel like I am malleable in terms of where I stand on them. Uh, the Ravens are a team that I love the way the franchise runs. I love the way they draft. The front office makes smart decisions. I think the coach is a very good coach. They're a team that I always expect to be competitive and in the mix. Okay, Lamar, they didn't have him for you know stretches last year. That hurt them. They were still good, um, but maybe weren't able to hit their ceiling. Now we're looking at this year's team. And with the assumption that Lamar is healthy, I think people have high expectations for the Ravens. But when I go and I look at the roster, and I, I also presume that they're going to score points, and I assume that they're going to have a certain degree of success, I can't see where I think it's going to come from, though. Like when I look at the roster, this is not like I said about the Bengals earlier. I can go love that guy, love that guy, love the guy. I all of these people I like, and then you put them together, and it's easy to see how it could come together. With the Ravens, there's a projection happening. I think in the larger marketplace that we like the Ravens, 
but none of us are totally sure about why or like what it's going to look like the wide receiver corp. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like they've got Mark Andrews, they've got Lamar on offense. And then the rest of it is a big question mark for me. So I can't quite figure out if I think that they're going to be good just because they're the Ravens and all the things that I already mentioned, or if those holes in the roster that I see, I should be paying more attention to. What do you think? I I think both are valid uh, positions to argue. Um, I do have concerns. This, this team has never given Lamar Jackson the weapons at receiver like other teams have done. Most teams I was tweeting about this uh, last week or, or so, but most teams, when they draft a quarterback in the first round, they have this cheap rookie deal. They may not be spending a lot on the wide receiver the first year that this guy starts, but by year two and year three, like these teams are spending top 10, top five cap hits on their wide receiving court. The Chargers are doing it for Justin Herbert. Like you can go down the list. Every single one of these teams is spending significant money at the wide receiver core to help their young quarterback. And the Ravens just aren't, you know, the Ravens cap hit for wide receivers this year is dead last in the NFL, like literally number 32. And so it's, it's It's crazy. crazy. they've, They've never done it for Lamar. And I know that this is like, Oh, well, this is a run first team and whatnot, but Last year, they lost all their running backs in the offseason. They had to switch. They went from the number two most run-heavy team for two straight years to the number seven most pass-heavy team last season. And Lamar still had this team as the number one seed in the AFC in December. So then he got hurt, obviously. Then he, then they went lost five straight games, and they fell out of the first seed, and they fell out of the playoffs entirely. Um, but even with those receivers last year and the, the impediments that Lamar has been dealing with, um, it's Lamar. Like it's, it's Lamar is what makes this thing work. And their offensive line is the same thing. I mean, their offensive line, interestingly enough, this year, they're finally going to be outside of the bottom 10 in offensive line cap hit, which they had been in, in his first four years in the NFL this year. I want to say they're number five in cap hit devoted to the offensive line. So they made some improvements along the offensive line this year. These guys come together. My opinion, they're going to shift a little bit more back to the run because they don't have the talent at the receiver position. Not maybe number two most run heavy in the NFL, but they're going to get a little bit more run heavy. They're not going to be the seventh most pass heavy offense in the league like they were last year. I think their backs, if they're healthy, are going to be fine this season. And this defense is just much better. Like this defense is way improved. And so if injuries are not going to hurt them, especially in the secondary, this team is like one of the, I forget what we rated out them in the secondary, but let me just scroll down here and see number five, best secondary in football. Like if, if this, this secondary, if they can, it's going to be imperative, be efficient on offense and score points in the first half, force that other team then to come back on you, throwing the ball in the second half into your great secondary. And I think the Ravens are going to be fine. I like, I think that they are a candidate to, make the playoffs. You have to lay a little bit of juice to do that, but I bet them to make the playoffs this year. I think this is a team that um, people just forget what their story was last year. I mean, now that I'm talking about it so much, more people are realizing it, but like people look at all this team went eight, nine last year and missed us, missed the playoffs. And 
they don't remember that this is like a run first team that lost all their backs before the season started. They're signing dudes off the street. I mean, this is where like two days before the first game, Latavius Murray signs. I mean, Latavius Murray has been nowhere. This is a team that during the season had to sign Le'Veon Bell. What has Le'Veon Bell been doing? Nothing, but they they brought him to Baltimore because they had nobody. They had nobody. So like, I mean, they wanted to run the ball and they had no running backs and they had to change their philosophy on the fly. And they still were the number one seed in the AFC in December. I mean, the upside of this team is great. They have to tweak some things though, Lindsay, like offensively, they, they need to help make Lamar's life a little bit easier. And I think that this is a great landing spot potentially for a free agent wide receiver. Um, I know that they have to free up some money to pay Lamar Jackson, um, but I really would like this team over the next month. Maybe they're going to go to the camp. They're going to see these receivers. They're going to see maybe some signs of struggle against one of the best secondaries in the league. And they're going to say, let's go. Let's, it's a good season for us. Let's go out and get get a quarterback, get a uh, a wide receiver, and maybe they'll go sign one because they did that a lot for Joe Flacco. They kept they brought in Anquan Bolden. They brought in tons of like free agent wide receivers for Joe Flacco. Like, do you remember T.J. Husman Zada? They signed for Joe Flacco. They said they signed Anquan Bolden for Joe Flacco. They signed a lot of these guys that were maybe on the tail end of the career. Even um, it's a guy Brown from ten, uh, Tennessee. His name was Brown. Um, no, Mason, Derek Mason. They go oh, out yeah. of sign. Like they, they went and signed a lot of guys that proved themselves elsewhere that then came to Baltimore uh, to work with the young Joe Flacco, but they just have not been doing that for Lamar Jackson whatsoever. And it would be lovely to see them do that at the buzzer here. Uh, give me more confidence in my bet for the Ravens to make it to the playoffs this year. They drafted two tight ends this year, I think. Used two of their draft picks on tight ends. Does that, you know, set off any alarm bells for you? Well, one of their big things, and I wrote about this in the book before the 2021 season, was they never replaced their tight end. Um, I forget the guy he left. I forget his name. Who went down to Atlanta? Hunt, uh, Hayden Hurst. Okay. Uh, yes, he was a big contributor to that offense, and they never really replaced him. And so this team was so good at having two tight ends that could actually play, so they could play more 12 personnel on 13 and feel better about it. And you know, with, with Mark Andrews, he's great. He's obviously like their best kind of receiver, most reliable receiver, most proven receiver now that Marquise Brown is gone. Um, but they like to use 12 and have two guys that can do things. Uh, they like to use more 13 with the way that they run their offense. And uh, so I think that that exactly made sense to me as to why they would want to go out and try to get another tight end last question. So I don't keep you all day long. Cause I literally could, because I have so many questions based on the things that I've read so far uh, in the book. And, uh, I'm, I'm not even like halfway through it, uh, the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence and his development. I know all of us expect better things this year because it was such a shit show last year with urban Meyer. And we don't even need to get into all of the ways in which it was, but there was one stat that you pointed out that I found, uh, just completely fascinating. And that was that he was actually last year, one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL on first down in the first half. His problem was not on third down. He was okay on third down. He was awful on second down. How do you explain, if you can, how somebody goes from being very good on first down to very bad on second down? And how do you fix that if you have an explanation for it? So I think the fix is going to be a lot easier than trying to explain it, ironically enough. And, and, and 
because I literally started looking at this stuff and then I, I spent a day and a half trying to research it as, as an analyst, like I obviously work for different teams and I, I love writing this book and obviously I'm involved in predictions and that sort of thing. So I'm always trying to figure out why I'm always trying to find out where the problems are and then understand the why so that we can correct it. Right. Like if we're trying to fix somebody like, okay, why wasn't he perfect? Okay. Well, here's the problem areas. Well, why were those, those, the problem areas and what can we do about it? And I got to the second down thing and I thought, okay, this has to be coaching. Like they, they have to be doing something different with him on second down because he was so good on first down. What the hell is going on here on second down? Were they dropping the play action rate? Were they lowering his target depth? Were they? I, I look through every single thing that I could come up with that I typically find my answers in. Oh, it's, if it's not this, it's that, and if it's not that, it's this other. And like, there's like 15 of these things that you're going down. It's like none of this is causing any alarm bells or signaling why we are seeing this massive issue on second down. And the only thing that I could like I, I think could be going on here is, and I even looked at this, but but maybe it's something beyond this, is 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 after first down runs when the defense knew a pass was coming, like some of the concepts that they were calling on these second downs, and then the way the defenses were playing him in a predictable pass situation was what was causing more problems for him. But what I've what I've um come to do is I just freed myself of the whole thing and said, I have no idea why this is happening. I'm not going to burden myself trying to figure it out anymore. What I think the answer is going to be, though, is that Doug Peterson is going to let Trevor Lawrence pass the ball more on first down, and it's going to increase Trevor Lawrence's uh, efficiency overall. I also trust Doug with what he's going to do with this offense in general on second down as well. And so I think that this offense is going to be in a far better place with Doug Peterson managing Trevor Lawrence than it was without Doug Peterson there. And I I think that they are going to surprise the people. And I think that Trevor Lawrence is going to have a much better season than some people probably currently are anticipating from him. My, like, if you think about Doug Peterson, nobody's been able to figure out Carson Wentz, right? Like he's been kicked around the league now a little bit because even coaches that have worked with him before, he, he's had an issue with them. But Carson Wentz under Doug Peterson before his injuries, okay, was an MVP. Carson Wentz was on his way to an MVP season. Then he loses Carson Wentz. He brings in Nick Foles, and they win the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback in Nick Foles. And Nick Foles hasn't done anything since then. And Carson Wentz hasn't done anything since then either. Doug Peterson was able to figure out a way to get them back to the playoffs the, the, the next season. And but this team has not been the, the Eagles were not great uh, when Carson after Carson Wentz's injury. And then, you know, who knows what's going on with his attitude and all this other stuff. But something clearly is is not right. Why all these former guys that have worked with him want to get rid of him. But at any rate, um, there is something to be said for the way that Doug Peterson can get his players to play well. And I think now he's got he doesn't have to work with a, a broken Carson Wentz. Let's see what he can do with a healthy, young, talented prospect like a Trevor Lawrence. And so I think it's going to be a secret, um, like unrecognized, I don't want to say unrecognized, but like under-discussed upside to what Trevor Lawrence is going to deliver this season. And um, whatever weird thing was going on on second down, I think is going to be gone. 
And I think the first down, whatever it was, whatever it was, <laughs> and on first down, they're going to pass the ball more and we're going to see a better Jacksonville Jaguars team. Now, of course, getting to the playoffs probably means winning the AFC South because if you're not good enough to win the AFC South and you're like the number two team in the AFC, like I, we got too many other good teams in the AFC this year for you to probably make it into the playoffs as a wild card. So obviously you're going to need to win the South, which means you're going to need to do something better than the Tennessee Titans, who I think are due for regression or the Indianapolis Colts, who I think without Carson Wentz could have a pretty good season with Matt Ryan there. And the accuracy is going to be night and day compared to what Carson Wentz was, but it's going to be difficult for the Jacksonville Jaguars to make noise this season. Um, but we typically see quarterbacks take that jump year two, and now he's got a new coach and I'm excited to see what he's able to do down there. It's one of those things that like kind of feels gross to talk about because it's so intangible. But I think one of the ways that Doug Peterson can help that situation is like just to bring this whole podcast full circle and end on a Pete Carroll phrase, like loving them up, you know, like I think that Doug Peterson will do a better job of creating an environment for Trevor Lawrence, where he feels supported and empowered and like someone believes in him. And I think that that small mental shift, if you're not playing scared and you're not like, you think somebody believes in you, you feel like you're freed up to go be your best self and make a mistake and know that that's okay too. You know, that's how you're going to grow as a quarterback. And I think that's what this year is all about for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Just get Trevor Lawrence to take that next step, flush last year out of your brain, then, then turn your attention to like winning as a team next year. This isn't your year. You're not going to the Super Bowl this year. I think going back to your point about the Vikings, I think uh, O'Connell could do that for Cousins too, because it seemed pretty clear last year that Cousins was maybe in an environment where his head coach was a little bit like frustrated or sick of him. And I can't imagine that when you're the leader of a team stepping out there, like, you know, we're all human beings. You know, you want to feel like the person who's sending you out there to do your job believes in you to the, um, uh, I, I think that that that's an intangible thing that we'll see results on the field. Um, I, co- I completely, I completely agree. And that's one of the other things like football is one, is one of the most physical sports that we have. Um, and so I think some of the psycho psychological aspect of it gets overlooked. And I try to talk to coaches that I work with about that a lot. Um, you know, obviously it's more efficient to call pass plays on first down and we know that, but when the quarterback sees that you're reluctant to let him throw the ball in these situations and that you, he, you just want him to hand the football off, like that does weigh in on him and it, it makes him feel like he is not adequate enough um, and that he doesn't have your confidence, like you said, your trust as a head coach. And that's something so important. I mean, like you you need, you don't want to be in a relationship, which you also alluded to with Kirk Cousins, where like supposedly his head coach hated him. Uh, Mike Zimmer really hated like Kirk Cousins. Um, Like you don't want to be in that type of, of relationship, that situation. And so um, just calling more pass plays and just uh, on, on early downs and say, we trust you, you know, we trust you with the ball we're going to give you the best coaching. We're going to put you in the best position. This is another thing. Like I think Brian Dable is going to have to deal with in New York. Like I, I wrote a lot in the New York giants chapter about just the coaching that was going on there and the play oh. calling with Jason Garrett and Joe judge and all the it's just egregious, all of the, can, can you imagine those players, how little confidence they have in coaches right now? 
like 100%. coaches just putting them in horrible situations and 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 do we trust this guy like how are we going to go out and perform if his play is not going to work like not even just different- last year they i mean right. like think about daniel jones Poor yeah. Daniel Jones and like what he's actually dealt with since he's been in the league. And now people are willing to throw him away. And he's never been in a good situation with oh. good weaponry and a good offensive line and a coach that you can trust to call the right play and put you in a good position. I mean, I'm I'm more excited about the Giants for that reason this year than anything else, because I have faith that Dable, you, a lot of other people around the league, everybody speaks so highly of him. So I don't know what he'll be like as a head coach, but I have faith that he'll at least like do the bare minimum to put his team in some good situations. We'll finally get an answer about Daniel Jones. Well, yeah, to your point, I mean, looking at the numbers last season, it literally felt like the Giants just wanted to get this team into third and manageable situations. Like their whole offensive philosophy is like, (laughs) Let's just get into third and manageable guys. Like, let's so not try run to, and draw. Let's not try. Let's not try to do too much on early downs to lose the game here. Let's just get into third and manageable. And, and Dayball is going to play. Let's stay out of third downs entirely. It's going to be night and day situation there. Daniel Jones dealing with Jason Garrett and, and Mike Shula in his career. Now he gets to deal with Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka, who's a brilliant coach as well, who came from Kansas City as Patrick Mahomes, former quarterback coach. They, they got some great coaches on that offensive side of the ball. Um, the roster still very problematic. No wiggle room, thanks to Dave Gettleman and the lack of cap space. Give this coaching staff some patience. Uh, I'm not expecting them to move mountains this year. But once they can start getting some of the players in that fit the system that they want to run, it's going to take a couple of years. Like this is definitely a team that's finally, in my opinion, pointed in the right direction as long as ownership is patient with them. Yeah, I totally feel like if they end up the season as an average team in the NFL, that's a win for me. They're they're a team for me where I just want to see growth. I want to see potential. I want to see like reason for optimism, much like Jacksonville. You don't need to do you know, all of the things this year uh, for this season to be a win. In my opinion, I think that the Giants fit into that category. Warren, uh, I can't thank you enough for doing all of the research that went into this book. Again, 560 pages, and I cannot recommend it enough. I am somebody who reads NFL stuff just all day long. And the fact that you were able to find so many stats and trends and things that I had were not on my radar is, uh, I, I think a testament to, to the work that you've done. And again, um, I, I, you're gonna, if you read this book, you're gonna find stuff that you didn't know that'll make you think about your favorite teams a little bit differently. So thank you so much for that. Is there something that people should know about wearing, uh, they should go to get it. I know that you have it pinned on your page, a link to it, and I will as well, um, tweet out a link. Yeah, that's it. I, no, I really appreciate the feedback there, Lindsay, because it means a lot. You are obviously plugged into everything in the NFL to hear you say that makes me feel that I did my job because that's what I try to do when I write the book is come up with new things that people didn't know about these teams beforehand that I actually think is going to factor into their outcome this season um, and give you better perspective as to why something might happen this year that you weren't anticipating. Um, Yeah, the link is uh, up at sharpfootballanalysis.com. It's, it's a PDF and uh, definitely uh, we're giving away some, some printed books um, because it's 564 pages. 
it's way too expensive to print this. Like the, the, the price that people would have to pay to buy a printed book is ridiculous. And I didn't want to do that to people. Right. So we're just selling the PDF, but we are doing some giveaways and trying to get some more printed books out there uh, in, into people's hands as well. Yeah. The printed book is key. I'm a highlighter. So I'm going to have to start like printing out chapters and stuff like that. Hey, going you're, you're, you're a media VIP. You need to give me, DM me after this. <laughs> give me a good mailing address. I'll get a printed book out. Oh, you're after the you. best. I will use it all the time. Uh, no one will appreciate this book as much as I will. Warren Sharp, you are the best. Thank you so much. I always have such a good time when you come on the show and really, really appreciate you making the time. Thanks for having me. Isn't he great? And again, his Twitter handle is at Sharp Football. Go, 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 go there. Get the information from him. Uh, get the book. Um, I You will not regret it. And you can find me on Twitter also, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm Lindsay Rhodes NFL on Instagram. I'm always eager to hear your feedback. If there's anything that you found particularly interesting in this podcast, if there's something that you would be interested in hearing moving forward, I'd love to hear the feedback. Um, and, uh, also if you want to leave that feedback on the podcasting platform that you're listening on, that would be great too. It helps us reach more viewers, a review, a star rating, a like, a subscribe, all the things that keep the NFL road show going as part of the Sirius XM sports podcast network. Andrew Emmer, who is amazing, is our producer as always. Marissa Rivas is the director of sports podcasts for Sirius XM and Steve Cohen is the SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, and that is a very long title. Have a great weekend, guys, and I will see you back here again next week with so much more to discuss because training camps are on our way. SiriusXM Podcasts.